Hey, if you're listening to this show, that means you might be depressed. Want to know what will make you feel better? If you go rate and comment five stars on our iTunes page. I keep saying our, and it's really awkward and frustrating. Not our. My, I guess. No our. I'm keeping it our. Anyway, go do it. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hey, welcome to Mentally Chill. It's Kristen, and I wanted to say, I keep forgetting, I don't have the sound effect that Stevie and I used. She sent it to me edited into the first episode, so my voice is over it. So if any of you guys either can A, find the same sound effect or make one that sounds super similar, that would be amazing. And you can email me at contact at mentallychillpodcast.com and let me know if you found it. That would be amazing and I would be forever indebted because I cannot find it. I keep searching, searching organ music, thunder, pipe organ thunder, thunder, scary. Um, I mean, you type in organ, it's just generally going to be scary um, or thunder, but I cannot seem to find the exact same one. I have no idea where she got it. And every time we taped, I wanted to ask her. It crossed my mind a million times and I just never asked, which bothers me so much. So anyway, um, if anyone could do that, that would be amazing. So this podcast is going to be a little different because I don't have a guest. I'm home for two months, as I think I talked about. And so the town that I'm from, there's not too many people that do podcasts, let alone even know what podcasts are. So I don't have access to tons of guests, but I am planning on doing a lot of Skype interviews going from here forward. I just didn't have any planned because my plan for today's episode was to have my parents as my guests, which I know they're huge in Hollywood. Um, So I actually tried to record with them last night and it did not go smoothly. Um, I think my parents are uncomfortable with revealing too much information. We're from a very small town and it's kind of like, you know, we don't know who listens to this and blah, blah, blah. Um, kind of that living in fear thing. Um, and, but they were going with it. They were doing it. The sound wasn't great because my dad doesn't understand speaking to the microphone. He does not know what that phrase means. Um, but then my dog was laying, my dog came near me and my brother's dog was, next to me and she's very protective and she um attacked my dog and so this is the result and actually before i play it turn your headphones down it's a little aggressive but it's amazing and the woman who sounds like she's on a roller coaster at the end is my mother not me i swear i can't make that noise i'm not that ridiculous a very nice like sweet soul sweet soul everyone <laughs> So that was the podcast with my parents. Those actually were my parents. That The fighting sound, those were my parents. The dogs were fine. They were sleeping. Just kidding. But after that, we kind of decided to call it quits. My dog had some blood drawn, um, not from the doctor, but from the other dog. And I said in there, this is what happened in my apartment because I found my brother's dog I found on the street in like South Central LA. I brought her home to my apartment to rescue her and I didn't know what to do with her. 
And so she stayed with me. I love her to death. She's an amazing dog. She's adorable. She looks like a forest creature. But she stayed with me for about six months. So I had two dogs. And through that time, a couple times, um, she would be laying on my chest. And then my dog, who's like, this is my mom. What are you doing? He wouldn't get aggressive, but he would want to also lay with me. And she attacked him several times. And it's like, she's this tiny little chihuahua mini pincher type looking mixed dog and she would lose it like rabid style so anyway that happened again last night um so my dog uh, had a couple little spots of blood and here i am doing the podcast by myself i also asked my brother to do it because my brother suffered with depression and stuff and so he was like yeah let's do it and then he came over and he was like uh eh, i don't want to do it that was annoying. So anyway, thanks, John. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. You guys are all incredibly supportive for doing this for me. Just kidding. They're amazing. So anyway, it's just me. It's me. Um, so I want to tell you guys about Stevie's memorial. So it was a memorial put on by her friends. Her family wasn't there. They're having a different memorial. Um, and I'm really bummed because I can't be there because I'm back here in um, in New York. But her friends put it on for her and it was beautiful. It was uh, small enough where it felt like it was actually people there that were affected by this and it didn't seem like it was just people showing up to show up to be somewhere social. Actually, I used to talk about that with funerals. A long time ago when I was in high school, this kid committed suicide and I was probably about 14 or 15 at the time. I think he was 16 or 17. And he had a, his family put on a funeral for him. And I remember the line was so long and I didn't go. I've always been the same person that I am today. I didn't go because I didn't know him and I didn't want to look like I was trying to make it a social event or some sort of social opportunity because so many of the people that were there were not friends with him. They were friends with five friends removed from him and it just seemed like they wanted their faces to be there. And perhaps their motives were pure. I don't know. I don't think they a lot of them were, but ever since then I've had a thing about commenting on someone's death or going to funerals if you didn't know someone unless you really genuinely were affected and knew them, don't go and don't show up because it's it looks like you're being opportunistic. And how gross is that when you're being opportunistic around someone's death? I mean, go for it. Be opportunistic, but just don't do it with someone's death. I live in LA. That's basically everyone's middle name is opportunistic. Um, it's hard to spell. A lot of, it's spelled wrong on a lot of licenses. But, um, but yeah, so at Stevie's memorial, did feel like it was everyone who genuinely knew her and cared for her. And when I got there, I had no idea um, people were going to be speaking. I thought it was just going to be standing around and telling, you know, one and one another kind of quiet, in a quieter way, like stories and stuff. And there were some hors d'oeuvres and whatever. But anyway, when I got there, her friend Uni got on the microphone, who was one of the um, friends that planned it, and said, I want whoever wants to come up here to talk about Stevie and tell stories and how you guys were affected by her and stuff. So it was really nice. A lot of people got up on the microphone and talked about her and how they, how she affected them. 
but also funny stories where you were like, that is so freaking Stevie. Um, one of her friends who might listen to this podcast, she's adorable. And, um, we had spoken on Instagram and I didn't realize that was her, but, um, she told a really funny story about how when they were younger, they, Stevie and her stole her parents' car to go around the block or something. And I can't remember exactly what happened, but when they got back, I think the, they hit the garage and it dented in the garage. And so Stevie's idea was to go on the other side of the garage and hammer it out to get the dent to go forward. And it worked, but then there were a lot of like little dents left from the hammer um, or something like that. But Stevie came up with a plan to say um, that their house got rocked, like with rocks. Um, and I thought that was ingenious and totally Stevie and funny and whatever. Um, so there were a lot of stories that were very funny and heartwarming, but there were also a lot of tears and everyone was so affected by her and, um, Bo Ryan, who is not related to her, but is a photographer, um, had taken that picture of her, um, that was behind us again, if you saw it on Instagram, but it was such a, it's such an amazing picture. And so... The minute that I walked in in this beautiful, huge framed picture of Stevie being rad as all rad can be right there made me very emotional as soon as I walked in. And it's been really strange. I've I've never really felt the way that I feel and I'm I've been going to therapy and I've had a hard time in therapy because I either feel 100 percent numb, completely no feelings, just almost dead inside or I feel insanely emotional about Stevie but either way I can't really articulate any of the feelings that I'm having it's a very strange feeling I think I'm usually really good at kind of tapping into what I'm feeling and putting words to it but with this I can't it's almost like I feel like someone cut off my legs and that's how I would you know communicate is through my legs I don't know that doesn't make sense but um but the minute I walked in, it was like it opened that floodgate of emotions. And then it stopped. It just shut off again. It's so weird. It is literally a faucet. It's either you turn it on and there's water coming out or you turn it off and it's completely dry. And that's what I've been like. Um, but it was really reassuring to see everyone else sharing in um, difficulties. And... Um, I talked about Stevie, and I do want to repeat one thing that I said, and I didn't know that I was going to be talking at all, so I really didn't know what to say, but what came out was that Stevie was a vegetarian, and I think it was mentioned on this podcast maybe at the beginning, but that's how I found out. I had no idea that Stevie was a vegetarian, and that's how you know she's cool, because she didn't feel the need to brag about being a vegetarian. Like, if you know someone... For a while, and you have no idea that they're vegetarian until you sit down to actually eat, that's a cool person. And I think that's what Stevie was. She clearly cared about animals and all of that, but she didn't make a point to be obnoxious um, to someone with different beliefs. And uh, and so that was really cool. Another thing that I shared was we had um, someone, we had uh, two girls about two months or three months into doing our show. I don't know. It was, we had about probably eight or nine episodes up, um, there were two other girls that started a podcast called Mentally Chill. You guys might know that. And 
what I did, I was really, it really was upsetting, but this is the difference between Stevie and I. I'm kind of a badass. Stevie was really a badass. And what she did was, well, what I did first was I tweeted to them just a sad face. It was me being this kind of pushover, like, kind of sucks that you did this, but I can't really do much about it. That was what I did. And then Stevie tweeted to them, take it down or I'm going to call my lawyer. And she just went balls to the wall, like mama bear angry. This was her baby. This podcast was her baby. And how dare you infringe upon it? Take it down or else. And that was so badass of her. So now, so they took it down, immediately took it down. And now there's another podcast up called Mentally Chill. And they don't have the parentheses around the I-L-L, and neither did the other show. But, I mean, essentially, same name. But now I don't have Stevie here to protect me or protect the show. And so I talked about that at the memorial. And a bunch of people reached out and said, hey, if you need, you know, if you need someone to step in and I have a lawyer, I am totally down to help you get those people to take down the, the podcast. So it was nice to have that community of people that understood Stevie, that loved Stevie, that but they all said the same thing. They thought that this would never have happened. Everyone knew she was depressed, but she was depressed in a different way. And Crispin Glover, um, George McFly from Back to the Future and Stevie were close friends. And I spoke with him in text and he said, I've known, he said, I've known people that have committed suicide. Um, and I knew Stevie was clinically depressed, but Stevie talked about suicide differently than all the other people that I knew who committed suicide. So he didn't expect this. And um, so I think that was generally the feeling was everyone was just so surprised. And I do think Stevie would take this back if she could. Um, I think she was probably in a very dark moment and felt felt a very dramatic and emotional and may you know maybe wanted to do it as a way of cutting or something but then took it too far um so anyway that's that and the other thing that I want to talk about Stevie cuz you know these past few shows that I've done with other guests we haven't really talked about Stevie uh since since I'm alone I might as well uh someone wrote to me and I didn't really I don't really know if I want to talk about this or mention it um, but I'm going to. Someone wrote to me um, and said that they wanted to cover a psychic or a, me- a visit-, visit to a medium for me, a medium that he knew and had a good experience with. He wanted me to go see her and try to connect with Stevie. And I'm kind of into those things because I've had I have had readings before, and some of the things they said were very creepily accurate. Where you, you know, wouldn't know unless you knew. So I went to a medium and her name was Carrie. She was really good. And I had a very interesting experience. So what the lady, the lady Carrie, what Carrie said to do was to bring a few items of Stevie's or items that I connected with Stevie on or with or whatever. And then she said to write down five questions that were short and to the point, but to write them down and not show her, but just to have them there in energy. Um, and so I did my homework and I came with the questions and the session 
was very long. It was like two hours long or something. And it was, and she said it wasn't her traditional reading. Um, she said Stevie was very, um, very difficult in terms of being available or something. But anyway, there were a few moments, if you believe in the stuff, there were a few moments of really crazy, accurate things, like super crazy accurate. So the reading opened up where she said, are you here for someone in particular? And I said, yes. And then she said, I'm sensing a mother energy and a young male energy. And that was not correct. And so um, she kind of uh, re reestablished her herself and said, are you here for a girlfriend or a close girlfriend? And I said, yes. And she said, did her name start with a C, like a C sound? And of course, that was obviously correct. And I said, yes. And she said, I won't. She said she's not going to give me the rest of her name because she didn't like it, which was true. Stevie, I think you might be able to, it was on a podcast. Stevie said her middle name was Catherine and she didn't like it because it sounded like an old lady name. And um, so that was kind of, kind of creepily close. Um, and, uh, then in the, again, it was a two hour reading. So over the span of the two hours, there are a lot of things that I didn't really connect with or feel were right. But then there were a couple crazy good things that were accurate and right. Um, so again, she had guessed that I was there for a friend, blah, 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 and the name. And she said, so the, the way she did her, her, her thing, was she would speak to the room or to the spirit or Stevie or whatever. She wouldn't speak to me. So she was talking as I was sitting there and she would say, "Did are you were you responsible for this? Do you take ownership over this?" And so the so Carrie said, "Was this a suicide?" And I said, "Yes." And then she said, "Was it by hanging?" And I said, "Yes." So that was pretty crazy. And I will tell you guys, she didn't know who I was. Um, she only had my first name and she had no details before I got there. So that was pretty crazy. And um, and uh, then after she had guessed the manner and everything, it was kind of information that anyone could really gather from someone who committed suicide. But she said, you know, um, like, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And she said, you know, Stevie was, saw herself outside of her body and she wanted to go back into her body and she was so shocked that this actually happened, but she felt so good outside of her body that she didn't want to go back in. And, um, and, uh, and, but again, that's, anyone could say that about any, anyone who died. So that wasn't super significant to me, but, um, you know, I can take it with a grain of salt and just know that that's what she said. Um, then, uh, toward the end, she, she said, do you have any questions for me? And I said, did Stevie come to me or like, you know, make herself known? And she said, she said, she's coming to you through electronics or something like that. And I said, uh, I don't, I don't think so. And the lady told me not to say the word no. So it was like, I was trying to find all different creative ways to be like, mm, no, but not no. Um, 
how about try again? You know, like I just, I didn't really know what to say, but she said, she's coming to you through electronics and that didn't seem right. And then she, then she said, did she come to you through a butterfly or as a butterfly? And I said, yes. And I pulled out the paper that had been, you know, away from her with the questions on it. And I drew, drew a butterfly. And so she was actually impressed with herself, you know, um, about the butterfly. And then she went back to the, uh, she went back to the thing about electronics and she said, she's coming to you through a microphone or you have her microphone. And I actually had her microphone in a bag, um, with me, but you couldn't see it because it was, you know, covered in a bag. So she didn't know it was in the bag. And so that was pretty crazy. So I think that was generally all the stuff that was accurate. You know, there were things that were inaccurate. Like she said, she's showing me a high heel. And I'm like, Meh, you know, Stevie wore chucks all the time. And so did I. And I mean, I'm sure she rocked heels when she wore them, but I just didn't ever encounter Stevie wearing heels. Um, whenever we hung out, it was very relaxed and chill. So um, no go on the heel. And then she said something like, did she win a blue ribbon or something? Cause she had no idea who she was. Um, you know, she, and you know, she was, she was like, was she like a contest winner or something? You know, so that wasn't accurate, but there were a lot of things that were, and I don't know what I was even looking for, um, doing that. I think in a way, selfishly, I was looking for validation that Stevie would want to come around me or have, you know, out of all the places you can go when you're not alive is probably anywhere. She could be on a safari in Africa or in outer space or on Mars or in heaven or wherever. Um, but to know that she wanted to hang out with me would really do a lot for myself. And I'm trying not to say it, but for my ego, maybe. Because I think, you know, Stevie being so cool, if she liked you, it would just make me feel cool. and But not cool, like, on a general level, cool to her. And that's all I really care about is that she liked me. And luckily, a few people came up to me that knew her and said, oh, she talked about you and said you were awesome. And so that made me feel really good to know that. Uh, so, yeah, that was the psychic medium experience and uh I don't know I I like want to believe it and everything but then you feel like a little kooky but then you're like but she said this and she said that and that was really crazy and Mike Carano who was on the last episode him and I actually when I had my first reading I was with him um which is so random but Dr. Drew's wife has a podcast called Calling Out with Susan Pinsky and it's just so funny because Dr. Drew was so like medicine and science and his wife's like talking to dead people. So I did her podcast and uh, the first time and when you do it, it's all of, you know, all psychics there and reading, doing readings for the guests that she has on. And so the show that I was on, it was myself and Mike Carano. And so the psychics were doing a reading for both of us, but I felt so bad for the psychics because Mike was like just shaking his head the whole time and being being Mike and was like, this is so dumb and, and so not real. But I do think that might block your energy. But at the same time, I want to be like not a person who believes in this, but I kind of do and I enjoy it. So whatever, I'm going to believe in it and I'm going to believe that Stevie was there because that makes me feel better. And whatever you have to do to get through the day is what you have to do. 
So there's that. And now I'm going to do my segments because I love the segments. I feel like they are fun and funny. I don't know about doing them alone, how funny they are, but um, we will do them anyway. So it's time for Who's Sadder? This Who's Sadder was written in by a by a, uh, a Twitter fan. Um, so who is sadder? It's Pat or Stuart Smalley. If you remember, Jeff Garland mentioned Stuart Smalley um, on the episode. And if you don't know who he is, so you guys, probably some of you who listen are younger. If you don't know who It's Pat is or who Stuart Smalley is, do yourself a favor and get educated, bitches, because they are hilarious. So they're both characters from Saturday Night Live from the 90s. It's Pat was an androgynous person where you did not know if it was a man or a woman. And so every sketch was furthering the mystery whether or not Pat was a man or a woman. And there's actually a movie called It's Pat. You guys need to see it. It's ridiculous and dumb and amazing. And I saw it because my dad used to own a movie store or video store and we get all these screeners. And so we got It's Pat on screener and I don't think it ever... I'm 100% sure it was definitely not in theaters, but um, it's such a weird, funny, strange movie, but like Kathy Griffin is in it, and um, what's his name from Kids in the Hall is in it. God, what is his name? Um, But it's really funny, so there's Pat, because Pat's an androgynous name, which is amazing because that's my mom's name, but there's Pat, and then there's Chris, which is also amazing because that's my name. Um, Luckily, my mom and I both have long hair, and... um, and somewhat distinguishable breasts. But uh, so in the movie, it's Pat falls in love with Chris. And you don't know if Chris is a guy or a girl either. And so the whole movie is a mystery trying to figure out who is a man and who is a woman. Um, and it's amazing. But uh, one of the characters, and I don't know his name, but he actually committed suicide in real life. And he played the bad guy in Dumb and Dumber. He was the guy who held them hostage at the end, who basically had the money or needed or whatever. You guys know what I mean, because you've all seen Dumb and Dumber, I hope. If you haven't, dear Lord, help yourselves. But anyway, so that's It's Pat. Please look him or her up. They are, she or he is amazing. And then there's Stuart Smalley. And if you don't know who Stuart Smalley is, character on SNL played by Al Franken, hilarious, basically this very sensitive, sweet soul who is incredibly sad and incredibly depressed, but has a TV program trying to be helpful for self-esteem and talking people up from feeling bad about themselves. So he would look in the mirror and he would say, I'm good enough. I am smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. So anyway, both two amazing SNL characters. Who is sadder? I really think Stuart Smalley was sadder because Stuart Smalley was putting effort into trying to feel better. And so that means he was aware of his sadness and aware of his self-hate or whatever. Um, Whereas it's Pat didn't know that he or she was androgynous she had no idea or he had no idea that people were confused whether he or she was a man or a woman. So I we've said this before on other shows, when you're clueless or when you're ignorant to things, 
you are so much less sad. And that's been a problem with me, and I'm sure for 99.9% of the people with depression, is that we are so ridiculously aware constantly, and shutting that off is so difficult. I had a friend, or I have a friend, not had, she's amazing, my best friend um, that I went to college with. I met her, and she opened me up to this world of being not aware of your surroundings and people. And in a way, you would think, oh, she must suck, but she's amazing. And I learned from her to not be so concerned and to not give an F-U-C-K. And I have to say that because I think my mom is somewhat near my door and does not like swear words. Um, They're for bad people. But anyway, my friend, I'll say her name, Julia, she's amazing. But when I met her, I was in college and she was doing pulling U-turns on the street. And I had never in a million years ever considered pulling a U-turn because that was wrong. And, you know, that was against the law and you could inconvenience someone by cutting them off or something. But she was pulling all these U-turns. And I was like, who is this girl? She's, she's my hero. And so that was just the beginning of her exposing me to this world of just kind of being alive and not thinking twice about things. And she um, learned a lot from me of being aware. So I think we both kind of found this happy medium. So she's not as much of an asshole and I'm not as much of a nervous Nelly. I think that's probably correct. Uh, So anyway, yeah, Stuart Smalley, definitely sadder. But you guys should use his... his a technique of looking in the mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. There's probably people that don't like you, but that that's actually what's inherently wrong with that, is that who cares if people like you? Who cares? And that's another thing that'll take a huge weight off your shoulders. I don't think I'll ever get to that point. I'm way too concerned. My life has kind of been based off of people not liking me when I was younger and then having this vendetta to make people like me to prove that I'm not terrible. Um, So I don't know if I'll ever do that, but you guys should do that. You guys should definitely do that. And so for the depression impression, I want to talk about the actor that committed suicide who was in It's Pat, um, also in Dumb and Dumber. He was in a lot of things and you might know his face if you've never seen those movies, which again, if you've never seen Dumb and Dumber, I have so much sadness in my heart for you because it is so amazing. Um, But his name was Charles Rocket. That was his stage name. His real name was Charles Adams Clavery. And he was born in 1949 from Maine or born in Maine. And he committed suicide um, in a very awful graphic way. He, I believe he slit his own throat. And slitting your own throat is so aggressive and so insane. I can't even imagine slitting um, it with my throat with paper and getting a paper cut on my throat, let alone actually being able to do that. That's how much pain this guy must have been in. And so I found this um, kind of cool website called in memory of charlierocket.blogspot.com. And it's kind of ridiculous because I actually found it from, I typed in Charlie Rocket suicide. And one of the websites that pops right up is funtrivia.com. 
why did Charlie Rocket commit suicide? It's like, um, could we maybe put it on sadtrivia.com rather than funtrivia.com? Anyway, uh, so it's kind of speculated that he committed suicide from severe depression from childhood abuse. And I'm just going to read you a bit about, um, about his childhood. And um, if you guys want to finish reading it, there's a lot to it. I'm not going to read it all. You can go to inmemoryofcharlierocket.blogspot.com. You lazy pieces of, you expect me to just read it for you? I don't think so. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, Charles was born on August 28th in 1949 in Bangor, Maine. His parents were Ham and Mary Clavery. I should preface, his parents abused him and his brothers um, pretty badly. And I th- I really feel like this should be attributed to the fact that his father's name was Ham. Like, if your name is Ham, you are going to be angry. Because your name is Ham, you will be picked on as a child. Especially if you're a chubby kid. Like, what were Ham's parents' names? Were they pork tenderloin and turkey thigh? Why would you name your child Ham? Was it short for hamburger? I don't know. The whole thing just enrages me that someone would name their child Ham or would name them something that would get to the name Ham. Like, some sort of nickname would come from. Like, but it could have come in a mysterious way, like how Dick comes from Richard. Why does Dick come from Richard? I just, my theory is that all the people named Richard were just dicks and that Dick became the nickname because how do you hear Richard but also then hear Dick at the same time? There's no, it's not the same letter, it's not the same sound. Anyway, it's just bizarre. But that, so his parents, his father's name was Ham and he was a mean dude. Big surprise. Um, Okay, so... He was the fifth of eight children, but he lived or he was in a bedroom with his brothers, Jim and Lincoln. They would share everything from the same food to the same clothes to the same bath water to the same school friends. The three brothers, however, were never called by their individual names by the parents. This is not a cute thing. This is taking away the children's identities. Now imagine how a small child would feel mentally not knowing who they really are. The parents treated the three brothers as one entity. They were treated in a way that meant they were not allowed to like themselves at all, and they weren't allowed to be themselves at all. Early one morning, their father dragged Jim, Lincoln, and Charlie out of bed. They were taken outside, just in their pajamas, and in the middle of the winter in freezing cold weather. The three of them were made to put their thumbs on a tree stump used for chopping wood. Their father took an axe. He did not hesitate. Charlie was six at the time, and Jim and Lincoln would have been about eight or seven. Eight and seven. He raised the axe above their heads in their thumbs and said to Charlie if he ever put his thumb into his mouth, he would chop it off. This was obviously terrifying. Charlie lived his childhood in very difficult circumstances. His childhood was extremely traumatic. He was treated as if he didn't matter and as as if he was a nothing and a nobody. Whenever the parents perceived any of the three brothers as doing something wrong or any of the any other child for that matter, they would all be punished. Charlie was allowed wasn't allowed to like himself at all. He wasn't even allowed to be himself. If he so much as looked into the mirror, he would be severely beaten. To look in a mirror was to regard oneself as important, and to regard oneself as important was forbidden. Well, then in that case, his father would have beaten me eight million times a day because that's how much I look in the mirror. Any child that did that would be as severely beaten as Charlie. All the children were subjected to physical violence in the form of severe beatings. They were constantly belittled by the parents and suffered severe verbal, emotional, and mental abuse. I believe the children, in effect, were 
were all tortured to some level. Some were mentally upset. The children were not allowed to use indoor bathrooms and had to use the outside bag and I'm sorry, bug-infested one in the barn. So if a sister at age four needed to go in the middle of the night in the winter, she would have to walk outside and sit in the bug-infested barn to go. There was absolutely no excuse for this. Sometimes the children were not allowed into the house except for supper and for bed. They would be just locked outside the house no matter whether it was raining, snowing, very hot, or very cold. This happened for no reason at all. Sometimes Charlie's perceived misbehavior by his parents meant that he got sent to bed several times without supper. Perhaps the others did too. I can't imagine why any parent would treat their children in the way that I have described above, but there is no doubt this form of abuse took place. So I should just say, I have no idea who this person is. Um, It just has her first name listed. I don't know where she has this information. It's not totally verified, but I figured I'd read it because um, chances are it probably is true. Charlie Rocket wasn't that famous where people would be making up crazy stuff. Um, okay, so when Charlie was being beaten or subjected to any other form of abuse, he would, in his mind, try to cope by pretending to be somewhere else or even pretending to be someone else. He would, in effect, disassociate from himself. From himself, This is not uncommon. It was the only way he could cope with the way his parents treated him. Because of the continued severe abuse, Charlie's mental health deteriorated and in his dissociation, and his dissociation became worse. I truly don't know what to what extent he really suffered, but he really suffered a great deal. Charlie could not tell anyone who would believe him. The outward appearance of the family was that the children were well-dressed, the family was respected, neat, and tidy. This was the 1950s and 60s. They always lived in big farmhouses, so neighbors would never have seen or heard or have been able to guess what was actually happening to the children. Charlie may not have even been able to put himself... I don't, can I read? Apparently I can't. I can't read. Charlie may have even been able to put into words, may not have even been able to put into words, just like me, what was happening to him and what he was feeling. He was also taught by his parents emotionally not to tell outsiders what was going on in his family. The father would threaten him with more physical violence as well as emotionally torturing him. Charlie always blamed himself for the way his parents treated him, and he would always try to be extra good, but it never worked. The family moved to Hobbs Road in Hampton. I wonder if that's Hampton, New Hampshire, because he was in Maine. I'm very familiar with Hampton, New Hampshire. It was here that Charlie went to Winnicunnet High School. Please don't judge me for that pronunciation. During those years, he made friends. However, the abuse continued. To hide it, and to hide his pain, Charlie would talk a lot. He became the class clown, similar to me, and was always joking around. But I should not compare myself to him. I had an upbringing not remotely close to this. Although my mom telling me to make my bed did seem like incredible abuse to me at the time. But anyway, he was already classed as a comedian, and he was voted in his high school yearbook of 1967 as the class wit. So I'm going to end there. I think that's a pretty... Um, good start on why someone would feel incredibly depressed and commit suicide eventually. But here's the thing. He became a comedian and was a class wit. And a lot of us try to hide our feelings through humor, which is, I don't really hide my feelings through humor. I think I had to protect myself through humor, but it's very interesting how humor plays such a huge role 
with sad people. And if you aren't funny, but you're depressed, I kind of feel bad for you. But if that's the case, you should start watching some comedies because it's kind of when you're feeling depressed, the only way you can feel. Because I think crying sometimes can be not possible or talking about it can be not possible, but comedy really just, it's like putting salt on food, you know, it brings out the flavor. I think comedy puts salt on life and brings out feelings at least, which is better than nothing. So anyway, that was, that's Charlie Rocket. Again, watch him in Dumb and Dumber and watch him in It's Pat. And um, he used to be an SNL cast member and he was in a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. But um, just paying homage to another great soul who could make people laugh, um, who took their life. And, um, you know, I wish I could do more for them, but that's really all the power that I have or that we have. But... Now, I'm seamlessly transitioning into the last segment, and you guys know what it is. It's F that shit. And for that, I wanted to talk to you guys about Dr. Kevorkian's super macabre and disturbing paintings. Uh, my intern, Day, who's amazing, um, pointed them out. He's like, have you not looked at those? And I'm like, no, I'm too busy looking at my Instagram page to see how many likes I have. Um, and he's like, okay, no, you need to look at them. So I wanted to talk to you guys about these like super creepy paintings. In the Neil Brennan episode, I brought up Dr. Kevorkian and never got a chance to get to the paintings. But um, there's a, you can go to dangerousminds.net and see, um, see a bunch of them. They're cray cray. So I don't know if he was affected like what came first the chicken or the egg like did he start doing these suicides and then want to do these paintings because he got disturbed from like assisting so many people and dying or did he do these paintings and have these images in, in his mind and then wanted to assist people in dying because he was you know fascinated with death or something they are paintings that you would exactly picture coming from a man who is assisting people and dying. And someone said um, on a website, because I can't talk about art. I don't know how to talk about art. I guess I'm intimidated by talking about art. I don't know the right things to say. I guess it's like talking about wine. It's like I just feel like I'm not asshole enough for it. But um, this guy said it perfectly about his paintings. He said, as he also <laughs> said, he's no art expert, but he is more than me, of course. He said, I'm no art expert. While his draftsmanship skills and imaginative brio appear to have been in fine shape, his sensibility was perhaps a touch blank, straightforwardly literal for my taste. And I couldn't agree more because a lot of them, um, it's almost like there's no interpretation. It's so obvious. It's like this man's sick, this man's dying, this man's evil. Um, they just seemed very literal, but they're also messed up but then he also has just straight up portraits that are very they look like they'd be in a like a book that you were forced to read in school that you didn't want to read I guess it's a way I could describe them but um but fascinating that you know death is just such a weird thing and I think it's funny because Dr. Kevorkian was also a jazz musician which it's like <laughs> he's like 
killing people, painting things about killing people, and jazz. Like, it's just a really weird combination of things. And although his paintings seem to be very straightforward, I can see them being very therapeutic. I used to sketch a lot, but my sketches are also very literal. They're just like, if I want to sketch a face, I sketch a face. I don't have some, you know, deep interpretation. My brain doesn't work like that when it comes to art. But what's very therapeutic about it for me was the, like, the strokes. It's just you kind of drift off into um, a very, you're out of your brain a little bit. You're not so present worrying about things and you're just focusing on the kind of therapeutic value of just sketching and um, getting lost in strokes. I don't want to say getting lost in stroking because that sounds incredibly perverse, but that's kind of what it is. Your just hand goes, your hand goes and your mind wanders and you finally kind of get to leave your crazy busy head. Um, So I'm just going to read you a little bit about some of the paintings that were on sale back, I believe in 2014. One of them was called Paralysis. And I guess it was typical of the series that It's a painting that depicts some aspect of disease or human suffering. Um, The painting presents an image of a naked man crouched in a claustrophobic prison. His half, I'm sorry, half his body has been turned into stone. His limbs are crumbling and useless. His brain has been removed and shackled, his body unable to respond to its commands. That's, that's like just, you know, that, that's why you guys should Google these things, Google this because it's like making food and not be on a TV show and not being able to taste it. I feel like that's what I'm doing here with pictures. I'm describing them with you guys not being able to see them. Um, But other paintings of his comment satirically on what Kevorkian viewed as the hypocrisy of the medical code of ethics. He once called efforts to prosecute him a political lynching engineered by the Inquisition, which is what he tried to portray in his, in his paintings. Um, But he also, like I said, just did straight up portraits One was of Johann Sebastian Bach, um, who I guess influenced his life. And so back when they were selling these, um, I think it was initiated by his death, it was hampered by legal disputes over the ownership of his paintings. For many years, they were housed in the Armenian Library and Museum of America in Watertown, Massachusetts, near Boston. Okay, that's amazing that there's an Armenian library in Massachusetts, because Massachusetts is the whitest place on earth. Um, After his death, the Kevorkian estate claimed the artwork was only on loan to the museum. So the, the dispute was resolved with the museum retaining four of his works. Kevorkian's niece now is offering the paintings, well, was offering the paintings in her possession for sale. And I think they were starting at like $45,000 for the sale of one, which is cray cray. So anyway, check out his paintings. Are, are, were they great or were they terrible? Um, it's all in the eye of the beholder, I guess. So anyway, I think that's it for the show. It was alone. I feel like I'm in a closet talking to no one, but hopefully I'm talking to a lot of you guys. And please share this podcast with a friend, even though you probably don't have any because you're depressed like me. Find one just so you can share this podcast and rate and comment. It helps me with iTunes because then we become more searchable, you know, the more ratings and comments that we have. And lastly, but not leastly, please subscribe uh, so you don't miss an episode. And actually, lastly, but not leastly, 
this is the most lastly but not leastly please follow the podcast on instagram and on twitter on instagram it's mentally chill pod don't confuse it with mentally chill podcast which is the page i created that we got locked out of and you can also follow us on twitter at chill mentally and then you can follow me Kristen, the lone wolf here at Kristen Carney on Twitter and at Chris Carn on Instagram. So I think that's it for me. I'm giving no pep talk. I kind of want to take that out of the show. I don't like it. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. I'm glad you listen and I'm going to keep doing this for you guys. So thanks so much and I will see you next week.